Welcome to the Artists in the Ambulance Revisited Podcast, where we, thrice, take you on a conversational journey with guests and friends about both the recording of the original album as well as the new one. Look around and you see that at times it feels like no one really cares. The way that you are able to bring out the best of each track is wild. Make sure to check out the new album anywhere you buy or stream music and come and celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Artist in the Ambulance with us on tour. See all tour dates on thrice.net. But I definitely have had lots of records where I've had to do a lot more to make things come together. I think the sign of a good band and a good capture is when you don't have to do a ton of that stuff. Thank you for your many years of support and love for this album. We cherish it as much as you do. Welcome to the show. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back to the Thrice Artist in the Ambulance Revisited podcast. Uh, today we are joined by a beautiful human. Why don't you introduce yourself, buddy? Which beautiful? You You're talking about Eddie, right? <laughs> Hello, my name is Scott Evans and I uh, am first time caller, long time listener uh, <laughs> from Oakland, California. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, thanks for having, uh, being here, buddy. So, Scott, you are a mixer, uh, among other things. But for, uh, for this record and for the, our last record, you were a mixer. What, tell the listeners, what is it uh, that you do? Yeah, I usually think of myself as a recording engineer. Um, but the truth is, you know, where, where I'm doing the tracking of bands that I end up mixing also... But the truth is, in the last, I don't know, 10 years or whatever, I've done a, a lot of mixing, a lot of stuff like your records where someone else tracks it and then I mix it. Um, the studio that I'm in right now is called Anti-Sleep and it's small. It's two like 12 by 14 rooms. So it's really just built for mixing and overdubs. You know, So if, if we were working on a record, you would come here just to do maybe vocals or, you know, some guitar or overdub, something like that. I very rarely do drums in here because it's so small. Uh, but I do all my mixing here. I've been here for about 10 years, I think. And then it's connected down the hall to a studio called Sharkbite. Uh, Riley and Ed did the Less Art record there with me uh, back in the early 1920s, if I recall when it was. <laughs> um, just a great sounding drum room, uh, really comfortable control room, just like a not fancy, chill, nice place to record. And it's awesome having it right down the hall. You know, if I, I've got tons and tons of pedals and amps and all kinds of stuff here. And so if we're recording down there, I say, you know, it'd be really great is uh, let me go grab this Marshall and I can just walk down the hall and get it. That's nice. Oh, I was just going to say like, like what is mixing for like the, somebody that has no clue. Well, that's an interesting question. It? I mean, <laughs> I think the, for people to understand that who are not audio, you know, people or musicians, you'd almost have to hear a record like the off the floor version. You know, here's what here's what just came out of the studio and here's 
the mixed version. Um, I mean, roughly, coarsely, mixing is taking all the individual tracks that went into a record, like there are, there's a microphone pointed at the bass drum and a microphone pointed at the guitar and, you know, whatever, getting that stuff so it all sits together and sounds like one cohesive thing and sounds cool and is loud and all this stuff. Uh, there are much more creative aspects of mixing, like, you know, when Dustin records his vocals, they're pretty dry and unaffected or maybe just has sort of like one reverb the whole time like a, to make himself sound a little bit like he's on a record. But, you know, maybe when we are mixing, we do lots of stuff to his vocals to make them sound exciting or different in every song, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, mixing from there, like if you're talking about, um, you know, mixing a Beyonce record or something like that, like it's it's a whole extra level of craziness as far as making stuff really, really hyped and loud and exciting and uh, competitive with the entire pop landscape and doing all kinds of like sound design and stuff like that. I don't do a ton of that. Um, there's some electronic records that I work on where you get to kind of go wild and do crazy stuff. Uh, I'd like to do that more than I get to. You know, if you read magazines or you know, interviews or listen to podcasts with cool mixing people. It always sounds like, wow, this is, you know, we put a microphone in the trash can and then we <laughs> like put it outside that's, for that's two days and recorded it over and over, you know, and, and like that stuff. I think that the reality of making records is, is for me is less glamorous than that and is more <laughs> meat and potatoes kind of like just make everything sound good and solid and not, not corny, you know, not too try hard. And that's kind of like, that's the way that I've ended up approaching it. Yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about like what you feel like your approach to mixing like differs from maybe other, other people making like rock music records. I don't know that I know the answer to that. I mean, I know I can tell yeah. you, like, I thought a little bit this morning on the way to the studio about working with you guys, you, you guys have worked with an incredible, like a fucking incredible list of producers and engineers and mixers and mastering engineers. It's like, it's astonishing. And a lot of them do, or all, almost all of them, I guess, do a lot of very high-end work. And I don't do that. I do a lot of mid-end work. You know, I do a lot of records <laughs> that take six days or something like that start to finish um, and that are a thousand people are going to buy that kind of thing. Like I do a lot of, and they're awesome rad records. I think probably like those are the records that I know Riley and I talk a lot about music. That's the stuff we listen to all the time. Like that's our, our sweet spot. Like I don't listen to muse records all that often, but I do listen to like, uh, I don't know, go back and listen to a Farrakhet record or something like that. You know, me and 1500 other people. <laughs> the thing that I've had to realize over time about my style is that it is not as glossy or hyped or contemporary sounding or something as some other mixers or, or producers. It's a little bit more like I'd sort of liken it to like, I do some photography and the best photography I do is like this very chill, like black and white, everything sharp and well exposed and just kind of pretty, but not, you know, like, wow, it's just like solid black and white photography. And I feel like that's kind of my engineering style also. Um, mm. I, I also feel like what you do is missing in a lot of more modern or popular records in a way that I feel like you're selling yourself short a little bit. Um, that's kind of my thing. 
Okay, but I, I mean, I feel like you have a good ear for bringing out things that people might sometimes. You have a way of making things sound real, but also magnified in a way that's wild. Like I, I, I don't know. I think it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think we we had such a good time mixing uh well we didn't do it but in the mixing process of uh, horizons east with you uh because it seems like we just are on the same wavelength about so many things like what we're doing when we write and record uh especially when we're recording it ourselves and then handing it off to you like we're not looking for it to be something super different. Like we're like, we know what it, what we're trying to get it to. And we need someone just to be able to like balance it. And like Ed was saying, like you do want some sense of, of magnification, even, even as we're going for something that's, you know, trying to feel pretty raw. Um, but I don't know. I, I think you just, that, <clears throat> there's a, an aligning, I think in uh, where we're both coming from. That's been really helpful. I mean, that's really nice to hear. I think the thing is when you're like inside looking out, I, I, it's very hard for me to have perspective on this. You know, when I hear records that I worked on, I, I, it's very hard for me to hear them just as a listener, even though I love listening to records. And, you know, uh, mm -hmm. the thing that Eddie was saying, I think it, it does resonate for me. Like I, the thing that I've basically in the last whatever, 10 or 15 years been kind of working on is like this, it's sort of like a juiced up Steve Albini kind of approach. Like he does these very natural sounding records, but they're very natural sounding. And I think I came up listening to records that were a little more produced than he probably did. And so there are, there are things about that excitement that grab me, but I still want the, the illusion that I'm trying to create, I guess, is still like pretty much abandon a room. Um, mm. But, you know, more like what it feels like to be in a room with a band than the way yes. it actually sounds. Like if you literally just put a couple mics in the room and listen to it, it's very underwhelming. Um, and so just to get a little bit of that, like, Ugh, but, you know, still real sounding. And I know that that's what we talked about going into Horizons East, which was an intimidating record to work on for sure. Uh, Crushed it. Why, why so, though? You know, Palms was mixed by fucking John Congleton and mastered by Greg Calby, right? Which is like total incredible dream team. Uh, Major Minor to me has like, like, is a perfect sounding record, you know, like drums, everything just beautiful. So I don't know, like, I also have a lot of, you know, imposter syndrome. So you sort of put those two things together and it was like, wow, this <laughs> don't is... Don't we all... I just don't want to screw this up. And, you know, these guys are my friends yeah. and I want to do, do the, do the record justice. But I think also they're trying to go for something that is a little less, um, like immediately wow than maybe previous records. And that is like something where you gotta be like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna play my game and it's going to be fine. And this is what we're doing is what everyone wants. You know, even if it doesn't sound like a wizard came by on a carpet when you listen to it the first time. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a, a reason. Carpet. Would that be a rug? What a wizard. I mean, there, uh, there is a reason that we, you know, we came to you in the first place is because we liked what you'd done. 
Yeah, you have to keep telling yeah. yourself that though, right? And not be like, <laughs> right, okay, right. what these guys what these guys want is for this to sound like, you know, Congleton mixed it, but for ten dollars, you know, which is <laughs> like <laughs> like don't do that. Be like, okay, you're here for a reason and just do your thing. Yeah, exactly. Do, do you think yeah. you spending years touring and playing live music has informed the way you mix a lot in order to make it sound more like the way people who play music on stage feel and hear music i don't know I, that's kind of like that's not asking you thought, and telling yeah. telling you what you do i don't know i've never given that explicit thought but i'm sure it's the case right. um i i think like mixing and uh and engineering they're kind of a combination of your personal aesthetics like combined or multiplied with your personal skills and your kind of bag of tricks. And those things all evolve together. And I guess sometime around when the band I'm in started sort of finding our, uh, our stride sonically was when I think I really started figuring out what it was I was good at and like doing. And that's when I started chasing. And I think that was when I stopped chasing uh, stuff that people on the internet often chase about mixes, you know, where you're, you're trying to make everything sound like Chris Lord Algae or something like that. Um, it turns out, A, like the bands I record are not meant to sound like that. B, I can't do that. And uh, C, I'm kind of good at doing something different. And so it just sort of like evolved, I think, you know, like, like, I, playing guitar is no different. Like maybe you aspire to be a certain kind of guitar player, but it's not the skills you have. And you, you want to try and work on the, your aspirational thing while also um, capitalizing on whatever your strengths are. And I think that's really what I've been doing. And for sure, um, hearing music a certain way is definitely an important part of it. And I definitely am like a, a rabid music fan to this day, which is not true of lots of engineers. I know lots mm. of people who are kind of over music, but I listen to as much <laughs> new music as I can all the time. Um, so I, I, it does matter uh, for sure. But I think it's also combined with like, if, if does that make sense what I'm saying? Like this sort of like you're, you're trying to capitalize on the things you're good at and learn how to, how to expand them. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think that's how you find your own voice in, in anything, really. By the way, uh, Scott sings and plays guitar in a band called Kowloon Walt City. Please check it sings out. Sings in air quotes. It's very good. Oh. Hollers. Uh, <laughs> I don't holler. Scott, how was mixing uh, this artist uh, revisited different than uh, doing Horizons East? If it was, at it, all. it definitely was. I would say there were two things, um, or three things. One is that the Horizons record was the first time that uh, we had worked together, and even though I I knew each of you at least a little bit, you know, we'd played a show or two together, and I bumped mm -hmm. into you guys. That was the first time that we had done something together. So, um, just the way that I approached that was a little different than knowing everyone the second time yeah, uh, or third or fourth time, I guess we did some singles also after horizons. Uh, the other thing was that, um, you know, horizons is kind of like this big 
varied, expansive sounding record. We did lots of treatment on the vocals. We did lo- there's lots of different sounds and lots mm-hmm. of oh, this is the piano song, and for that we're going to do something totally different. And uh, and I feel like with artists, it was like this is a rock record, you know, like straight up. Um, and the songs are faster, a lot of them, and more aggressive. And there's more like right hand on the guitar, you know, more like riffage and palm muting, <laughs> and uh, more sick chugs and. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I understood from talking to you guys, I think Tepe did a really great job of explaining like what your goals were for the artist record, um, which was not to recreate it. I was telling my kids that I was going to work on this record and I was like, yeah, this guy, Andy Wallace, who, you know, I've always really looked up to. I was like, here, let me just open his wiki page and I'll read some of his like records on his discography. And I would start reading through it and just start feeling sick. Like, <laughs> you know, cause you forget it's like, yeah, he worked on like uh, a Slayer record and this and that. And then you're like, and also he worked on rage against the machine and oh, he did the other rage against the machine. And then also this band called Nirvana and like, holy fucking shit. You start seeing like colors and stuff. <laughs> um, so anyway, I really didn't listen to that record. And I just kind of tried to, again, like I said before, you know, just do your thing, uh, try and work on it in a vacuum or using, the usual material that you AB to, like I've got a set of records that I regularly will listen to or I'll, or that I'll pull from when I think like, oh, these are appropriate things to compare to to kind of keep my, my ears calibrated. Mm. Um, but I think compared to Horizons, I was trying to be like, not have a lot of variety, legitimately, like just have a, sounds like a band, this is, it sounds like the band just playing a set kind of thing, uh, a little brighter on the guitars, and may- maybe like a little heavier on the drums. This morning, driving to the studio, I finally did it. I put on the original and flipped back and forth a little bit. It's really, really interesting to me. But one of the things that struck me, and also I'd been listening to on the way driving my kid to school, they're really into Deftones right now. So we were listening to these Deftones songs. And uh, I-, I definitely heard a lot in common with like the like around the fur mixes and mm. the original artist. Tepe, what amps were you using when you guys recorded that record? Dual rectifiers. You know, I th- well, yeah, Maybe. I would mm-hmm. think that. And then I th- that's the record I had that Bogner for, right? Oh, yeah. Pro- Uber probably. Show. Uber, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, like another yeah. super juiced. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, machine. I think it was, it was probably the rectifier and or the Bogner. Probably some JCM 800 or something in there somewhere, maybe. I don't know. I honestly don't remember. Were you playing, I don't know how nerdy you guys get on this pod. Um, was it all humbuckers? Were they all like shreddy guitars or were you? Yeah, 100%. Okay. We, did, we didn't know what single coil was back then. Right. And so then <laughs> when you did the, I, we didn't even talk about this really. I vaguely remember that you were playing more like your sort of current flavors of amps maybe slightly on that like you were using what like ed's marshall or something like that now oh for the new one yeah 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 um yeah i mean i used exactly what i'd normally use so my vox ac30 and then uh ed's jmp and single coil guitars right some single coil yeah some yeah Yeah, not yeah definitely not all of it but but that alone is, you know, a dramatic, dramatic difference. And that that is 
to some degree fashion, right? Like, uh, like those tastes in, in tones and guitar styles and stuff have changed. And also you probably in 20 years have figured out what you like more. Like yeah. I played humbucker guitars 20 years ago all the time. I didn't know anything different. And then started playing single coils and I was like, Oh my God, I, now I don't own any humbucker guitars, you know, like, right. So yeah, I think like for us, I think we've evolved towards those tones mostly because of the way that they, I don't know, they let you in a little more. Like you hear the instrument or you hear, um, like if you do that with everything, you start to get the, you know, the the feel of a band. What about you? Like, what drums were you playing then compared to now? Like, how um, have you switched things up? Yeah, I even can't who, remember. Wh- whose drums were you playing then? Were they yours? I think I was playing my own. I had a, a matte black Orange County drums and percussion kit. I think I was using Peisty cymbals at the time. And then compared to now, it's like a 24 by 16 galvanized steel kick and you know standard size 13 by 9 16 by 14 toms and then um i think i was mostly using wood snares back then and oh wow all my all my snares now are are metal mm-hmm. whether it's brass or bronze or aluminum or copper yeah, wood snares. That, that was a different. that was a thing back then, also, right? For for a minute. That were very of that time, though. Like, yeah, everybody wanted the <laughs> Travis Barker, Adrian Young, three eleven guy, whatever his name is. Um, but, I think that's his actual name, three eleven <laughs> guy. <laughs> yeah. Is that just all crack? No, no, like sustain. It's just like pat. Yeah, the, and then then the vents are just really an odd thing to have on drums right because there's something it takes away a lot of the resonance it's all just attack Um, one interesting thing about your cue kit though um having recorded it once is that uh i think it's a really remarkable sounding drum kit like just in the room with it you know some sometimes you change like oh here's a here's a dw floor tom and here's a ludwig floor tom and you're like yes that one sounds a little nicer than you know whatever like they're mm-hmm. but but you hit the cue drums and it's like that is different you know mm-hmm. like it's it's um it, it sounds like it's been like eq'd already the sustain is much shorter than a lot of drums like it basically sounds to me like the things that we recording engineers do to drums after we record them it's already like built into mm-hmm. that kit it's a very interesting Crazy. thing about that kit yeah, I love it so much. Like we, uh, the first time I used that was on To Be Everywhere, and they brought one in that I could just try out, and it 
felt and sounded like nothing I'd ever played before. And it was just so exciting to sit at that thing and, and play it. So uh, I never, never changed. Where did you do To Be Everywhere? Uh, at Eric Palmquist's studio in Alhambra. Got it. Not, the, it's, not it's, the drums, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The drums were at... Uh, oh, To Be he, Everywhere. Oh, sorry. Yeah, To Be Everywhere. Oh, we yeah. Did they were in there, that, yeah, in yeah. his tiny studio with a very shallow ceiling. And yeah. then Palms we did at... Uh, United. United, which was another ridiculous. Bonkers, <laughs> bonkers drum room. I was thinking a lot about making that record uh, yesterday. Um, all the crazy stuff we were doing with weird, like giant kick drums and different snare sounds and all that stuff. That's an interesting one because um, Eric didn't mix, right? John did. Yeah. So, and I think it's it's it is interesting to put time into all those little tracking details that maybe at the time you're like, oh wow, but then to hand them off to someone, like when I get handed tracks, it's it's a double edged sword. It's a very different perspective than if you were there for every one of those decisions, and you know, uh, and I, and you you yep. may treat those things very differently. You may be like, why does this kick drum sound so insane? I better you know replace this with a sample <laughs> that sounds normal. And yeah. It's like no, no, that's the whole thing. Um, but I I do remember that you guys had me do a test mix before mm. we did Horizons, and we did one of the songs from the Palm Sessions, and those that's drums, crazy. those fucking drum sounds, dude. <laughs> They were just, you know, it was like, this is a just, they were absolutely phenomenal sounding. Just every single mic. I mean, not to mention, like, you run down, like, the input list, and it's like, wow, wow, oh, wow, wow. You know, like, every mic choice, and, and, and obviously the room, and the drum tuning, and everything, and Riley's playing. It's just like, wow, this is really, really beautiful sounding. And I think you guys did, by the way, a really good job, Tepe, uh, tracking at your spot. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't the, know. The, the room is not. The, let, it is not the United Room, right? Like, no, but no. but no two rooms are the same. That which is fine. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, drums were. You know, that was the thing that I was most nervous about recording, especially on our own and then in our own new space. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think it it all sounds pretty cool. I, don't yeah, know. I think what, I was pleasantly I think what's surprised. Im impressive is the drum sounds you got out of the old garage studio. Oh. <laughs> is that They're the um, that was like beggars, beggars and, and uh, alchemy? Alchemy or... Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That shit sounds great. Yeah. No, oh, thanks. I was just listening to those, and I was like, "Why didn't? Why isn't Tepe mixing these records? These sound great. Like, what am I doing here?" <laughs> well, the I mean that yeah, that room was crazy. It was like. It's a two-car garage, and then we soundproofed it, like the whole room within a room thing. And so that, I mean, if you can imagine how small the room actually got after all that, and the ceiling was what, like probably Tiny. seven feet tall? Oh, God, it's a nightmare. And it, yeah, was, it was just a box. Like there was, no, <laughs> there was no like sound, anything really thought about or done to really. So, yeah, it was, it was a crazy then, room. And then didn't we have to build another room inside the room inside the room because we we thought we had soundproofed it and then we started practicing and we're like, oh. Well, it was it was initially it was vaulted also. Oh, yeah. And then we were like, oh, this like 
Yeah, we did something where, yeah, we did something where like we, we did it and then we're like, okay, cool. And then we tested it and we're like, this is not soundproofed enough. And then we did definitely an an oops moment. Uh, It got real small. But you did mix those records, right? I mixed Alchemy and then Beggars, uh, it was Shiftman. Shiftman, yeah. Um, Yeah, but Alchemy sounds totally great. Oh, thanks. So what am I, I doing know. here? I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe we should just cut. Yeah, I mean, we're just not going to do this anymore. No, yeah. no you do no, the an good, amazing The good thing job. about having having you mix is like we're all burned by the time we're like done tracking and then you're on the same wavelength and you can pick it up. I, that makes sense, actually. I mean, I know Ta- I, Tep and I were in touch a lot while you guys were making both records and it's a big lift for yeah. to be playing and sort of like you know trying to offer opinions on your friends like like be like hey Dustin I think you could play that better and you're like no I think I played that as good as I can and it's like you guys have known each other for so long that you know like there I don't know like that's exhausting on its own so then I can see the the benefit of being like I'm out after tracking and let someone else mix it but your your, your ear is also very important Scott like I feel like the way that you are able to bring out the best of each track is wild. Like, I've never heard my bass sound so good. I've never heard our drums sound so good. Okay, so for the listener, like, nothing sounds better than Ed's bass. It's just like, <laughs> it, I appreciate what you're saying, but I, and I, I know that I like sort of, this, this is my thing, is just undercutting myself. But I, I actually, this morning got here and like fired up the mix session and had a quick look just to see for uh, artists, just to see what I did. I was like, wow, I just didn't, I didn't do a whole lot here. Like there's not a lot. I mean, I, I I did stuff, you know, but like there's, there's, if you consume internet content about recording, uh, you'll just have people be like, I'm running into this EQ into another EQ into this distorter and then a third EQ and then I'm doing another EQ and then there's another this and that on like everything. And this is like the opposite of that. There's like, a hair of EQ on the kick and snare and like a little like, you know, surgical cleanup on the guitars. And it's just like, it's really. But don't, don't you think that like the ability to do less is almost like more difficult? I, I would say like, I think they're both like difficult. To, like to mixing is it, hard. Like it just is no sure, matter what. Sure, but sure. I agree with what you're saying. Like that, like doing that, especially on a computer um, right. mm-hmm. is like, it's always, you know, if you're, I think Dustin said, like, what is different, or maybe it's you, as what's different about mixing now versus in 2000. One of the things that's different now is, like, in 2000, if I wanted another EQ, I had to, like, first of all, I had to have another EQ, like, in the equipment <laughs> rack. Um, and second of all, you had to, like, grab patch cables and patch it up, and, you know, like, maybe the EQ's back in the credenza behind you so you're like trying to eq the guitar but the, you know like you're turned around and all this stuff and now all anyone does is they click click and you know add another eq and add another and there's basically like infinite eqs that you can add um and it's real easy to over mix um and I, I i still do it pretty regularly but did not do it on this record i think um i do think it is it's always challenging to know like did I do enough or did I do too much kind of thing? So. Yeah. But I mean, it's probably also sort of like some of all the parts, right? Like 
you're maybe doing not that much to each track, but it, all the things that you did combined to make something that's, I mean, it's not like I'm drastically different, but if you were to, to take what we gave you and then what you gave us out of that, it's, it's pretty different. Yeah, you know? it's different. No, for sure. I, like, again, I, maybe, you know, maybe I'm underselling it or something like I, I did stuff, um, <laughs> But I definitely have had lots of records where I've had to do a lot more to make things come together. And I think the sign of a good band um, and a good capture is when you don't have to do a ton of that stuff. It's like the mastering process, you know, like the, the, the highest praise you can get from a mastering engineer is like, I literally did, did a flat cut of your record. I did, it needed nothing. Like when a mastering engineer, first of all, like it takes guts for a mastering engineer to say that because then you know, what are you even paying them for? But, uh, but it's high praise. And I think for mixing, you know, similarly, if the tracks come in and it's just like, yeah, this just works and we're just going to juice it a little bit. Like that's, that's super great. And one of the things that I noticed, uh, so when you guys had me do that test mix, I was like, oh, these guys record with all these big people and they do these sort of like, like thrice records are always pretty expansive. And, uh, Surely there's going to be like 50 fucking guitar tracks, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And I have to sift through all that. And when I opened that song from Palms, you know, there's a lot of drum mics because you guys sort of like had a lot of options that you took. So it was like, yeah, a bunch of drums. And then it was like left guitar, right guitar, bass. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we tracked the guitars on that one ourselves. So, yeah, that's part of that. Uh, I mean, that's, I, that, but I think awesome, that's a big though. thing. It was that, like, this is awesome. Like this, you know, like, like I, one of the, one of the other things that's easy to do in 2023 is to over track and, uh, you know, with computers and that's been true. Yeah, for, I mean, we, I feel like we used to over track on, not on computers just cause it was the thing you're like, I want a bigger right. guitar sound. So I'm going to, I'm going to double it and maybe I'm going to triple it. And it was like a Metallica thing, right? They were like, yeah, like. 10 chugs all in unison or something like that. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I bet. I mean, and, and there's like, you get something out of that, you know, but, uh, you also lose something. You definitely and also lose something yeah. over, over time. We realized that we rather, uh, keep, keep the stuff that we want and not, uh, lose that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the horizons tracks and, uh, this record also artist, it was like that. It was like, yeah, there's 12 tracks of drums or whatever, and there's Dustin guitar and Tepe guitar and bass, and let's go, you know, and some layers of vocals, uh, which is, right. I, I think is just great. Like that really lends itself to making things sound great. Like it, 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 it lets, like the way, if you want something to sound great, you have to not have a bunch of other shit that you hear. I think that's the trick. The more focus something can have, in your mix, the easier it sounds good. And and that's yeah, what well, you guys did. So it just sounds like a guitar. Right. I, I remember one of the things we talked about before the, the Horizons recording and also with this was like, we want noise. We want like, uh, what, is, what are the, what's the term for? Like artifacts. Little, artifacts. That's what the word was. Um, and you were totally down, but you also were like, full artifacts or like <laughs> limited. Um, but like we want good shitty or shitty shitty. Like yeah. what should we get? <laughs> well, we've talked to like other, uh, 
mixers about that before be like yeah we want to sound real that adds the realness like an old records that we love or whatever and they're like yeah but that's gonna make me sound like i don't know what i'm doing and that's like no like and i love that you're down for that and i i don't know and it also sounds like what i've always wanted a record to sound like you know yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that is it's your personal taste and aesthetic and your your sense of what it what is it that sounds finished to you. Like, there's lots of bands mm-hmm. that I work for where I leave the you know, you, and the things you're talking about are like guitars buzzing on breaks, you know, or like whatever, you know, cymbals ringing mm-hmm. on just I don't know this kind of stuff that's like it's very very easy to clean up if you're mixing with a computer. Um, people used to clean that stuff up also you know, back in the day, but it was much more of a project. Uh, right. And I would say like 80% of the time when I leave those things in, I'm always asked to take them out. 80% of the time I'm always, uh, so it's, it's not a given that, you know, that that's the aesthetic that people are going to have. They like, I think to some degree people are like, I don't want to hear breaths or I don't want to hear, you know, someone moving their hand around on the guitar neck before the part starts or whatever. Like that to me is things that don't go on records. kind of coffee are you drinking this is timeless coffee have Mm -hmm. you ever heard of them Uh, yes oakland's finest vegan treats vegan bakery and uh roastery you know riley i don't know if i told you this but they discontinued the timeless iced oh what i don't really understand it like it is probably the world's greatest coffee drink Mm -hmm. um pure rocket fuel absolute run through the wall shit yeah it's incredible Maybe that was it. Maybe it was like, had become a controlled substance or something. Right. <laughs> it's like the tier below meth. But they, they opened a timeless, like, walking distance from the studio. So that's been oh, good, good and bad, I would say. <laughs> right. I know you're supposed to be asking me questions. I, I asked what amps you were using. You guys didn't, did not attend the mix of artists, right? Mm-hmm. No. no. Is that the only mix you've n- you have not attended? No. Uh, I don't think we've I mean, attended many of them, to be honest. Yeah, we haven't personally been there for many. It's been like giving notes. We as, were there for know, Visu, which was a remix. We were there for Major Minor, right? Kind of. Uh, you were kind of, Tepe. I can't. I don't think so. I, I feel wasn't. like maybe Dave. Oh, maybe it was Beggars that I'm. I was there for Beggars. Yeah. Yeah. I was driving up to his house. Yeah. Okay. Uh. That's the one that I like the mix of. To be everywhere, I feel like we were there for some no, of it. None of it. I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't we know. we didn't. Sorry. Uh, like I, think I, I just was remember up there for like some drum stuff. Well, I remember it was being mixed until like the last moment and we hadn't heard anything. I definitely wasn't there because I remember 
literally the the night we finished tracking, I got in a car and drove back up to Washington because I was oh, living yeah, up there. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess all this stuff. There's always like there's time pressure, and you know, you guys have to be off doing playing shows or whatever. While yeah, I, right. I know that while we were mixing artists, you guys like were trying to finish it, and mm-hmm. you know, your manager is like. Ken is very good at, uh, I don't know if you guys know this. He's like very artist forward, anything the band wants, um, he advocates for, which is really commendable and awesome. But he's also like a good casual, like turn the screws on a schedule person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Cause my inclination is always like, I want to, I want to like, this is a service job and I want the customer to be happy. So, you know, if the, if the manager is like, Hey, uh, so we're looking at like, you know, three days from now for finished masters. Does that seem doable to you? Like, you know, in my heart, I'm like, oh, <laughs> fuck. But I'm like, yeah, yes, right on, man. We can do that. Um, <laughs> and so we, you know, I was getting some of that while we were finishing artists, but you guys were on tour in Europe, mm-hmm. right? So I was like yep. sending you yeah. mixes and God knows what you're like on a bus or something listening with AirPods or I don't know what, like trying to approve mixes. And the good part about that at least was by then we knew each other and Mm. the mixes were pretty close. And I felt like, okay, I don't uh, necessarily like doing things without, like, I never want you guys to be like, when did this happen? You know, like, I don't remember being consulted on this. We had some of it going, I think, before we left. So oh, yeah, 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 we, for sure. But we were like, okay, it's sounding like this, yeah. Yeah, but I was making moves while, you know, while yeah. you guys, we were revising and changing <laughs> stuff while you guys were gone. Uh, and there was a couple things where I had to be a little bit like, well, I'll just take a deep breath and do this and it'll probably be okay. Like, it's, it's just, it's definitely different than doing an attended mix, but no one does attended mixes anymore. Do you like doing attended mixes? Um, the, <laughs> yeah. Theoretically. There's no way you do <laughs> You do? Okay. Do you? I mean, it's weird. Like, you're just sitting in a room with someone, like, you know, uh, for 12 hours or whatever, being like, do you like it better with this 1 dB louder or 1 dB quieter? And they're like, I don't know. I don't, your room, sa- everything sounds amazing here. I don't, you know, like. No, I mean, I, I think uh, what we've got going is great. We're, we're on the same page enough and then we just do little tweaks. And we're like, oh, yeah, bring this up, bring that down. Yeah, and you guys can listen on systems that you're yeah. used to listening to music on which is a yeah. big deal yep. well it also gives it gives us space to hear it fresh because that's a hard thing i mean when you're sitting there listening to it all day for you mixing it's i mean i don't i don't think people really get how hard that is i mean i think the closest you could give someone is like when you've stared at a word too long and all of a sudden it, it loses all meaning and looks really, really weird. Yeah. 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 Uh, your brain does all kinds of compensating things that you can't control with sound. And one of the things it does is it absolutely normalizes whatever you're listening to. So, yeah. uh, you know, if you record a guitar overdub and then go back to mixing, like that guitar overdub will probably be extremely loud because you were focused and you won't even notice, you know, uh, and then you put it on the car the next day and you're like, what was I even thinking? And so to try and keep yeah. your brain in that state of like n- things being new to it is important. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, like a being to things. 
it's I, I read a in a mixing book a while ago is this idea of shocking your ears where you're like, put on headphones, take off headphones, switch to other speakers, listen to a record that you really like, like go for a walk, just keep like keep surprising your ears with and and then you've got like this tiny mm-hmm. window, you know, of like like 90 seconds when you listen to the mix to be like, OK, now I know what <laughs> I need to fix. And then you're going to your brain's going to start adjusting. It's ridiculous. Weird. It's a ridiculous pursuit. Yeah. Riley, did you like the way the drums came out? Yes, very much so. I love all of, all the records I've done with you. Can you just say that again? Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It used to be like in 2000 or whatever that if you used drum samples, you like wouldn't admit it. You know, like it was, it was something to be kind of quiet about. And now mm-hmm. it's interesting how that's completely become like normalized to just be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's this drum library and this and that and this, you know, like there's a whole like cottage (laughs) industry of, you know, YouTubers doing studio tips and people selling uh, guitar tone packs and drum sample packs and stuff like that. And it it is, I think the thing that Riley was describing is, is really true. Um, In a way it's resulted in like an elevation of the way things sound, but also a real like strong homogenation that yeah. mm-hmm. I, the honest truth is I think I would rather stuff. It's easy to say this until your name is on it, but I would rather things that sound like bad, but have some character than perfect right. and sound mm-hmm. um, fake or I don't like know fake. fakes the wrong like, word. Like 500 well, I, other records. And it's weird because yeah. people are like so into gear too. It's so tempting to think that like this one piece of something is going to make, make your art that much better. Um, and like the reality is like the gear does matter, but it only matters to a certain point and it can easily become, you know, a complete distraction from the actual art. Recording engineering has always been, you can't get around the fact that you were using gear to do it, you know, and, and the gear imparts certain sonics and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I wouldn't presume to say that that stuff doesn't matter, but, um, I certainly, and I've, I've done this myself and I see friends doing it like, Oh, I'm going to buy this one $5,000 equalizer. And I just think it's really going to change things for me. And it's like, you know what? It's not, there's no fucking way it's going to change things for you because you have one of them, you know? And like, uh, it's that, that, that ain't it, you know, like, and everyone has to, has to take this journey themselves. But, um, for me, I, I've, I think this is kind of classic me. I, I've, let myself make things as difficult as possible in a lot of ways while working. Um, Cause I feel like it keeps me honest. And if I can get stuff sounding good without a lot of tricks or sound betters or stuff like that, um, then, then I really did it. You know, then I'm not, then I'm not a phony. Uh, this is a ridiculous perspective. Like no one knows what you use to make a record, but it's just kind of the way, like I, uh, there's lots of people you see, like they use like, you know, 18 things on their mix bus, which is like the last thing, you know, before all the stuff comes out and, and it's just like doing all this crazy stuff to make it sound better. And that's fine. It's just, 
I, I ended up deciding to basically not do that. I do very little. And it makes mixing much harder. But I think probably it helped my mixing a lot. I think. Just entering the cycle of self-doubt that I go through basically multiple <laughs> times a week, as I say. I want to be real confident about this, but I'm like, God, am I fucking up? Like, what were Kinda you going like to say? like the 10,000 hours. It's like the 10,000 hours mentality versus like the cheat code mentality. Mm -hmm. Like you can get better by doing something and actually putting in the work and dealing with failure and uh, getting stoked by little successes. Or you can try to buy the magical thing that just makes you better. And there's such a market for like people selling you the way to do the thing you want to do better and faster without having to waste the time of actually like experiencing it and learning it and all that shit. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's like part of a much larger rant, but. <laughs> since when has better been like more mindless, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean better, 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 is is now, now, better is never easy. <laughs> um, and I think what I found with recording is that, you know, like early on I would have more sort of like plateaus and, you know, Oh, I'm better, you know, stuff like that. And what's happened now is it's more like these very long, gradual inclines between plateaus and between, you know, uh, it's just, it's just reps, you know, like, hundreds and thousands of hours and records. And when I talk to people about recording, that's what I say is just, just absolutely record as much stuff as you can. Don't just, you know, take your band and keep trying to make the same four songs that you recorded sound great. Like never do that, you know, record as much as you can. You just, you just need to keep hearing stuff because I think the 10,000 hours thing is very true. But another thing that's interesting is that people who do have the 10,000 hours can then take insane tool sets and do really cool things with them, right? So, mm -hmm. and, and it's easy for me as a person with 100 hours to be like, oh, I just wanna use those tools. Um, yeah. But it's, it's totally like a friend of mine used to, who used to um, work in big New York studios said he would occasionally go in and like, he would set up recalls for, you know, big producers who are coming in. Like they're, oh, they're coming in to work on this mix and so you have to like take notes and make the console, the mixing console, and all the outboard gear, the equalizers and all that, match exactly what they were when the person was there a week ago. Like this is also something that no one has to do anymore ever. It's miserable. Um, and then he would sit down and like, oh, let me just screw with their mix a little bit. Like this is interesting. And he said it was always like that scene in Fantasia with Mickey Mouse and all the brooms, you know, where it's like, holy shit, <laughs> I, I can't control this at all, you know? Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that happens if you just try and take someone's very complicated tool set that they use and apply it without doing it with intent. So here's a good example. Right. Tepe, you probably know, you know, Mix with the Masters. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. It's, uh, it's internet content where they have like luminary mixers, you know, run through mixes they've done and uh, take them apart and stuff. And there's one with this guy, Stuart White. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's... He's been Beyonce's like main producer engineer for a long time, but he also did the last Autolux record, which is a phenomenal sounding oh, record. Uh, I mean, and also the like if you haven't heard the new Beyonce record, it sounds fucking incredible. Like the dude is really, really, really good at what he does, and he for Mix with the Masters um, did one of the Autolux songs, 
And I kind of feel like anyone who likes sound should watch it because he is doing so much insane shit, like casually, but with intent, you know, like he's just very fast and flexible and the result is unbelievable. And I watch it like once a year for inspiration, even though it's so different from the way that I usually mix or think or whatever, but it's a great example of someone doing a lot and really knowing what they're doing you know, like with absolutely magical results. Like that record is, you know, really world-class sounding and in a really exciting, you know, like you put on a Nine Inch Nails record or something like that. And you're like, wow, holy crap. Listen to this. That's what that Auto Lux record is to me. I, I don't know how we out. ended up talking about this. <laughs> no one does. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll wrap it there. Uh, well, first, thank you for mixing our records. Uh, yes, thank you. But uh, thanks for chatting with us. You guys are awesome. Uh, and just just for the folks listening, I feel like it's worth saying, like, you guys are truly a pleasure to work with. You're always like, sorry, we're so whatever. And the, the truth is, I work with dozens of bands a year, and it's really impressive to work with you guys. You're very thoughtful and on point with your aesthetics and ideas for changes and... Um, and it's it's just it's really inspiring and great to be a part of and to to see a team like that work. It's you guys probably don't realize this because it's just you being you, but uh, it's it's pretty special. So yeah, thank you for having me. I really am extremely appreciative. Sweet. Appreciate thanks, you. buddy. No, thanks for Ed's bass tone is what I'm really getting at here. <laughs> <laughs> What was your, oh, sorry, we're supposed to be wrapping it up. I had another question, but never mind. <laughs> uh, whatever. What was your bass rig in 2000? Let me guess. Uh, what would someone's bass rig have been in like 2002 who was like a gearhead? Uh, oh, well. Were you playing something fancy like boutique -y? No. Well, 2000? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Like, like. Well, I don't know. Like when you were recording artists, recorded like, artist. I think I ended up using one of the studios, SVT SVTs. classics, like an old, an old one. Um, but before that I went through some, well, like I had a Billy Sheehan preamp with a, <laughs> like with David Eden cabinets yep. and all sorts of wild stuff. And then I kind of figured out the, the tube gain thing with an SVT two, the rack mm -hmm. mounted. Hell yeah. And then, went into Ampeg for a long time and then had a bunch of those kind of explode on me. And then now I'm using a Fender Super Bassman. And then I always record with a, the Ampeg B15 that, that um, our sound guy and one of our friends slash guitar techs found at some random music shop. Was that in like Kansas or something? I don't re really remember, but it was... I that is a crazy finds. good sounding amp. I bought one because of you. Now that, that one in particular, I feel like is is extra magical though. I keep right. I like, that, keep texting Ed. I'm like, hey, can you just send me a picture of like the inside of? He's like, what are you talking about? You know, I get just some like Randy the Macho Man meme back from him or something. I'm like, no, really, just a picture of the mm -hmm. underside of the PCB would be great. Ed. Um, yeah. Bass tone. I feel like bass tone fashion has also changed over time, and you you have like a canonically great sounding bass sound right now. It is like, hmm. Okay. It's just me hon hon honing in on Caleb Schofield's bass tone from 20 years ago, basically. Which was just That's a rat, a rat into a GK. <laughs> no, 
No. Well, I mean, not at the time. He was using a Marshall Major. Oh, was he? At one point. He had a Sunhead. He had a SVT Classic for part of it. Um, but he was also doing this thing where he was using one of those Boss distortion pedals, just the orange guy. The ODB. With an EQ pedal after it, boosting low end because it lost so much. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. But that when we toured with him in 2001, I think it was, that's what he was using, and it sounded amazing. But it's also him playing. I think it's 100% way, him. Yeah. The way Caven works, I think we've also like borrowed a lot of that placement of instruments, like figuring out like, oh, you can have the two guitars do like more ethereal things. And then the bass kind of informs more of the like push where a lot of guitars at the time were just doing like guitars in your face. Like that's, that's it. Um, I, I think yeah, it, been, it really is true with him that like tone is in the fingers. Like, uh, we toured, did a week tour with Zazobra um, in the 2015 or 13 or something. And then he was playing a rat into a GK. Um, okay. And yeah. it just sounded, you know, it wasn't a rat. It was a fuzzrocious rat clone, but it just sounded oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. just, just goddamn incredible. Just, you know, yeah. and I think that's just, you could hand that guy anything and he would just, what would come out would be like, holy crap, dude. Right. He's playing a P bass at that time too, right? Yep. Did it. It was Did the, it right. maybe, maybe it was the muscles. Yeah, it was. <laughs> all right, all right. Sorry. Okay. Thanks again, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, y'all. Thank Thanks, you, Scott. Scott. Bye. Thanks for listening. Head over to thrice.net for tour dates and tickets for the Artist in the Ambulance 20th Anniversary Tour. Special thanks to our editor, Andy Lara, at andylikeswords.com. Stay. Into 